Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. I'm Frank Gory Correa, the host of the show, and I'm happy that you can join and listen. If you've listened to previous episodes, thank you for coming back. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome, and I hope you'll enjoy the show and continue to be a listener. This podcast discusses three topics, movies, sports, and politics. Each episode will be dedicated to one of these topics. Today's show will center on movies. The show is available on Apple, Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox under Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. Please subscribe to the show on any one of these podcast apps so you can receive new episodes direct to your device when they become available. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. This is a very important and simple way you can help the show reach a wider audience. You can also always get the show from our website. That is www.letmebendyourear.com. Today's show, I'm going to be providing a review of the new Denzel Washington film, The Equalizer 2. Before I do that, uh, in movie news this week, there was an announcement from Warner Brothers that they are going to be making a standalone Joker film simply titled Joker. Now, this film is not going to star Jared Leto, who played the Joker in Suicide Squad. It's actually going to star Joaquin Phoenix, who is an interesting choice and I think a great choice. Joaquin Phoenix is a very gifted actor who takes risk in the roles that he takes. He definitely doesn't have a mainstream movie career. His his career has really been in smaller independent films with uh, very complex characters that he plays, a lot of dark roles. Uh, so him taking on the Joker is a very interesting choice. Uh, anytime you have these actors that take on this particular character from the Batman comics, it's always interesting. Going all the way back to Cesar Romero in the TV show or Jack Nicholson in the Tim Burton version. And then, of course, probably the most critically acclaimed version of the Joker, Heath Ledger's in 2008's The Dark Knight, directed by Christopher Nolan. Now, the thing that I've noticed with the Joker role and the various incarnations of it is there's always a skepticism, maybe with the exception of, of Jack Nicholson, but there's always a skepticism about people that play this role. I know when Heath Ledger was chosen, I think a lot of people were like, Heath Ledger, because at that point he was known from A Knight's Tale, 10 Things I Hate About You. So he was known as an actor of light romantic fair and some drama obviously Brokeback Mountain being uh, an example of something of some deep acting but I don't think anybody was prepared for the incredible performance he gave in The Dark Knight so with Joaquin Phoenix to me I always look at the actor that is chosen for a role that tells me a lot of if it's a great actor I'm pretty confident that he's going to do a great job with the role now another positive for me with Joaquin Phoenix taking this role. The writer-director of this movie is going to be Todd Phillips. He's known for Old School and The Hangover, which was a huge monster hit. I wasn't a huge fan of The Hangover. I actually like Old School better, but of course, Hangover is seen as like a modern comedy classic by a lot of people and did incredible uh, box office, of course, spawning off two sequels that I didn't bother watching. But Todd Phillips co-wrote the screenplay of the Joker movie and if Joaquin Phoenix has signed on to do the film, that makes me optimistic that he felt that the, strip, the script is very strong. So that's definitely a plus. Another plus is Warner Brothers has budgeted this movie at about $55 million. So a lot of money when you think about it, but not a lot of money for a comic book movie at all. Uh, it's essentially going to be a low-budgeted comic book movie, and I think that's smart for a couple of reasons. One, 
I think it allows the filmmakers and the actors to be more creatively risky because there's less money on the line so they can take more chances maybe narratively to make the film stand out, make it something different than you might expect. And for Warner Brothers, it's smart because it's a low-risk gamble. So if the movie comes out and doesn't do well, it's not a big loss financially or the threshold for the movie to be considered a success becomes a lot lower when you set it with a lower budget. So I think that decision may end up to be a very smart one if the film ends up to be really good quality-wise and then also really successful box office-wise. So I think that's a good way to go. So I think that's a good decision. The other thing I think that's good about it is it appears that Warner Brothers is trying to do something different. Now, I know in the negative column, there's going to be another standalone movie about the Joker with Jared Leto's Joker from Suicide Squad. So at first glance, and even I would think, why would they make two Joker movies? This is ridiculous. But I think I will give Warner Brothers credit here, and I've been highly critical of their DC movies. I think they're mostly pretty terrible. But I do think they're trying to do something different. So when you try to do something different, I'll give you credit for that. And I think what they want to do is try to launch almost an alternative universe within the universe. So basically, this Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix will be a standalone film that's separate from the DC universe. And I think that could be a gamble that pays off because they can essentially have a fork that goes in two different directions. So you have the standard DC universe, hopefully that they can improve on, you know, where you have the Justice League and you have Superman and you have Batman and Suicide Squad and Aquaman and any other movies that they're planning on releasing. So you have that fork and then the other fork will consist of smaller, lower budgeted character pieces launching with this movie which is going to be simply titled Joker. So if Joker was successful, they may be able to create two forks where they can kind of go down another path, maybe with other DC characters in standalone, lower-budgeted films. So if they can get the DC main universe righted, get that ship righted, and then create the second fork of smaller movies, that could potentially be something that's interesting and potentially something that they're doing that Marvel's not doing because it seems like DC is basically tried to play catch up to the incredible success that Marvel has had under Kevin Feige doing those movies. So if they can kind of launch this particular branch of smaller character driven films, then it's something that can set them apart from Marvel. And and despite the criticism of DC that I have, when it comes to me in movies, I just want the movies to be good. I would rather be talking about how great DC movies are and how great Marvel movies are. This is not, for me, I'm one, I'm not a comic book fan, so I'm not rooting for one to be better than the other. I want DC to step up their game, and I want them to make great movies, because all I want to do as a movie buff and a movie goer is to see great movies all the way around. So I want DC to make this work. So hopefully uh, this, uh, this particular venture with Joker will be the start of something good for DC, which I'm all in favor of. So now my review of Equalizer 2. This movie is a sequel to the 2014 film, The Equalizer. Stars Denzel Washington, and it reunites him again with his director from the film Training Day, uh, Antoine Fuqua. So, of course, if you've seen Training Day, uh, that film garnered Denzel his second Academy Award. Uh, that one he won for lead actor. His first Academy Award was for supporting actor in the 1989 film Glory. So, Equalizer 2 starts with a train trip to Istanbul, Turkey. 
Denzel's character, Robert McCall, is on that train. And as you find out as the scene progresses, he's actually looking for a little girl that's been kidnapped by her father who took her out of America in a custody dispute. And Denzel ends up, after kicking a lot of ass, taking this little girl back, getting her back home. And then you find out in the next scene when it's back in Boston that this little girl was actually the daughter of a bookstore owner where McCall buys all his books. So you also find out early in the film that Robert McCall is a Lyft driver. So he's doing what Lyft drivers do, pick up fares, taking them places. And then in his travels as a Lyft driver, he runs into some uh, customers that he ends up assisting. Uh, one being Sam Rubenstein, played by Orson Bean, who is a Holocaust survivor, who is looking for, when the film opens, he is looking for a piece of art, a painting that is of his sister uh, that was taken by the Nazis and he's trying to get it back. And uh, the way they set it up, it looks like he's maybe not delusional, but he's having roadblocks trying to get it and it's really not something that's going to happen. And then as the film progresses, you see how McCall assists him. And Orson Bean does a great job playing that character, a uh, sympathetic character you feel for his story. It's a subplot in a movie that doesn't have to do with the main plot, but I like little detours like that. And the first or the two, the first two thirds of the movie I liked a lot, actually. That's probably my favorite part, more so than the last third. And I'll get to that in a minute. I just kind of liked him assisting people as a Lyft driver. I thought that was a good call back to the television series because I love the 80s television show. I was a big fan of it, uh, where he's helping different people and um, being a Lyft driver in 2018 is the perfect way to have access to people that may be in trouble, that may need his type of help. So I, I love kind of the way they did that. And I know, and I think that was my issue with the first Equalizer as well, was that unfortunately when you have a movie, you have to kind of have a main narrative thrust. So you can't really get into the he helps multiple people because then I'm sure the, the, the narrative becomes too episodic as opposed to having one driving narrative. But I thought in this particular film, they did a better job of incorporating both the aspect of helping different people and then the main story, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, so there's another great action sequence where uh, a girl is dropped off in his vehicle. And you see this in the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away. And you can see that she's been assaulted um, by several men. So he goes back up to the room where the men are and let's just say mayhem ensues. So that part of it I liked a lot, and I liked the way they did it. Great action sequences in there as well. So the main story that gets propelled uh, after that opening is Robert McCall's character is visited by Susan Plummer, a colleague of his back when he was working for the agency. She's played by Melissa Leo, and she visits the she visits McCall because this is the anniversary of McCall's wife's death, so she didn't want him to be alone. And then you subsequently kind of get more backstory with him and find out that he is pretty much dead to everyone that knows him. So as far as everyone's concerned, Robert McCall is dead. She's the only one that knows that he's still alive and living his life. So she lets McCall know that she's on her way to Brussels to investigate the murder of an asset that they had there. And you'll see the scene where the asset is murdered. So she's going to investigate that murder. So she goes to Brussels and while investigating that murder, she herself is assaulted and subsequently murdered. So once McCall finds this out, he ends up reaching out to 
one of his old colleagues, Dave York, who's played by Pedro Pascal. You may know him from Narcos. So he has to obviously disclose the fact that he's alive, which of course is, is a shock to Dave. So he they talk and York accepts help from McCall. McCall starts to look into what's going on, you know, reviewing video footage, kind of getting into the case itself, and he starts to, to, to figure out what's going on. So the rest of the film basically revolves around him trying to solve this murder. And once he figures it out, then it kind of climaxes with a huge action sequence at the end of the movie. And this is probably my least favorite part of the movie. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will like it because there's a lot of ass kicking and action. And not that I'm not that I'm against that. I just it just felt to me that it kind of slowed the momentum of the film down to me. So the last third was probably my least favorite part. I didn't hate it, but it just kind of. I don't know, it didn't seem to fit with the flow of the rest of the movie. So for me, it was kind of off. So I had an issue with that. But uh, great acting all the way around. You get uh, Bill Pullman, who I haven't seen in the movies in a while. He plays Brian Plummer, the widower of McCall's friend. And um, great acting all the way around. There's also another subplot with uh, a young man named Miles Whitaker, played by Ashton Sanders, who lives in McCall's building, who is an artist and um, is also actually slinging drugs on the side. And, of course, McCall tries to get him to stop doing that and kind of go to school and work on his art, which would normally seem like a cliche kind of thing in a type of movie like this. But actually, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is a scene where Denzel's character, McCall, goes to get Miles out of a drug dealer's apartment. And there's a great just interchange or sequence when Denzel is talking to miles and just you're reminded what a great actor he is because the scene is great because of his powerful acting and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie and and that's what really kind of elevated this movie to me because i mean at the end of the day it's a basically a revenge movie you've seen him a hundred times before whether it's denzel washington or liam neeson and take in or any clint eastwood film dirty harry or otherwise it's a variation on a theme, so you're not, you know, it's not going to be unpredictable. What I did like, though, what I thought it was uh, stronger than the cliches a lot of the time. So I did like the movie a lot. The acting is good all the way around. So I did enjoy it, and I did enjoy it better than the first movie, again, because I thought there were more callbacks to the TV series. So for me, I'm a sucker for that because I was a big fan of the TV series. So I love uh, the callbacks to that. So I'm going to unveil my review system so basically if you listen to a couple episodes back when i did rom-com corner when i reviewed the holiday uh, i gave that movie if i remember i did a star review so i gave it three stars out of five or three and a half out of five so i won't do stars anymore so when i review a movie and like i said i won't review uh, movies all the time i was able to attend a screening of equalizer too so that's why i'm able to provide this review before it opens uh, so the likelihood of me getting screenings regularly will depend on how I can get access to them. But when I do review movies, I'm going to be reviewing them. Uh, when you see them in Twitter, it'll be visualized by ears. So, of course, I picked ears because my podcast is called Let Me Bend Your Ear. So the review is going to be an ear. So it's going to be one ear to five ears, but they won't be called ears. I'm going to call them Van Goghs for obvious reasons. So for the inauguration of my rating system, I'm giving the Equalizer 2 with Denzel Washington three and a half Van Goghs. So it's a good time at the movies. You'll enjoy it. If you take it for what it is, an action-packed movie, 
um, with some good actors in it. I think you'll be satisfied. I think you'll be happy with the experience if you like that type of movie. So again, The Equalizer 2, I'm giving three and a half Van Goghs. So again, I want to thank everyone that's uh, listened to the show and provided feedback. And uh, if you like the show, uh, tell a friend and have them get on. Because again, my ultimate goal is to grow the show. Uh, I'm really enjoying doing it. Uh, It's getting better every week. Hopefully, I'm improving as I do each show every week and um, providing compelling content. As I said, that's my goal to provide compelling content for you to listen to and keep you coming back. So let me know your thoughts about this particular show or any show that you've listened to. Again, the website, if you ever want to get shows, is www.letmebendyourear.com. And again, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, or on CastBox. You can also follow the YouTube channel. Uh, that's Let Me Bend Your Ear Podcast. Uh, I usually record mini cast. I haven't done one in a little while. I haven't had something that's made me want to pop on for a 10 minute video. So um, I'm a little behind on that. You can follow the show on Twitter. That's at bend your ear pod. I'm very happy. I'm about to hit uh, 200 followers on Twitter. So thank you for that. So if you are on Twitter and are not following the show, if you could do that, that'd be great. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. Same handle bend your ear pod. If you have any questions, suggestions for shows, uh, things you want to talk to me about directly other than social media you can always email the show the email is bend your ear podcast at gmail.com and again if you do listen to the show on apple podcast specifically please at least rate the show uh, looking for five-star review if you like it but if not just at least rate and review if possible uh, this is the single most important thing you can do to help the growth of the show uh, rating and reviewing is really what generates a show to be placed higher in the search results when people are looking for this type of show. So if you could do that, that would really be great. It only takes a moment and I would really appreciate it. So again, thank you for listening to the show and I hope everybody has a great weekend.